Now seeking the Lord's help, let's turn again tonight to the book of Psalms, and specifically this evening to Psalm 134, the last of the songs of ascent that we've been perusing together in recent weeks. Psalm 134. A song of ascents. Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Father, you are the God who made heaven and earth. We've just been singing about it. We've just been reading about it in John chapter 1. And now we read about it again. You are the God who made heaven and earth. You are powerful and you care about this planet and these people that you've created. And so, God, by your care and by your power, come and speak to us and help us tonight. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I said a moment ago, Psalm 134 is the last in this collection of the Songs of Ascent, which collection stretches all the way back to Psalm 120. That is to say, this is the the final in the collection of those psalms that were sung by the Israelite pilgrims as they made their way up to Jerusalem at the time of the feasts to worship the Lord on the various occasions of old. And since the crowds would sing Psalm 134 on their way up to Jerusalem, it makes you wonder how the intended audience for this particular psalm, which was already inside Jerusalem, could have heard the words which were addressed to them. Because did you notice the intended audience of Psalm 134, particularly of verses 1 and 2? The Jewish pilgrims who are on the way up to Jerusalem are actually singing to the Lord's servants, verse 1, who are already inside the city and working in the temple. Did you notice that? The pilgrims who sing, verses 1 and 2, are singing it not to one another, not to the Lord directly, but actually to the men who are working night shift in the Lord's house. And so it makes you wonder how the servants of the Lord who serve by night in the house of the Lord could have heard what their fellow countrymen were singing to them in this song of ascents as those countrymen were making their way up to Jerusalem from the outside. But what the commentators seem to presume, and I think they must be right, is that this psalm was sung within Jerusalem as well, not just on the way up. Now, maybe it was also sung on the way up, as seems to have been done, as we said, with the rest of this collection from 120 to 134. And maybe, according to Matthew Henry, the other songs of ascent that we've been looking at were also sung inside Jerusalem as well. But in any event, the fact that the pilgrims, the worshipers who came up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord at his feast, the fact that they sang this psalm to the men who served in the temple by night suggests that this particular psalm, at least, was sung once the crowds had already made it into the city. And indeed, it was probably sung, if I can paraphrase John MacArthur's summary of this psalm, it was probably sung at the conclusion of the feast for which all the pilgrims had gathered and just before they departed for home. 
with the worshipers in verses 1 and 2 encouraging the priests to go on serving the Lord and with the priests in turn, verse 3, blessing the worshipers as they set off for their homes. Let me just say that again. This psalm was probably sung at the conclusion of the various feasts that the people would come up to just before they all departed for home with the worshipers encouraging the priests in verses 1 and 2 to go on serving the Lord and with the priests in turn blessing the worshipers in verse 3 as they set off for home. And maybe you can see that and hear that as you Look at these verses. That's MacArthur's summary of Psalm 134. Let me give you also just a snippet of Matthew Henry's, who suggests similarly about verses 1 and 2 that they were sung, quote, to stir up the ministers to go on with their work in the night when the solemnities of the day were over. To stir up the ministers to go on with their work in the night when the solemnities of the day were were over when all that was happening with the festival during the day was finally ended the ministers would go on blessing the lord even in the night which is why henry also suggests that it's fitting that psalm 134 concludes this collection of pilgrim songs it was meant to be sung at the end of the festival as evening was coming on when all the big action of the feast had drawn to a close and the more quiet nighttime duties of the priests and levites were about to begin and so here's this psalm in other words that the worshipers would sing, perhaps on their way up to Jerusalem, but when it seems they would sing when the feast in Jerusalem was drawing to a close as well, and when those who had worshipped were preparing to leave, and when those who had ministered to them in worship were transitioning over to the night shift and to the work that must needs go on even after the crowds have left. And here also is a psalm in verse 3 in which the ministers, in turn, pronounce God's blessing on the worshipers before they go. And so it seems to me that the application of this psalm to our own day and to our own lives is to think about what this psalm says about the interdependence between God's people who come together for worship and God's ministers who minister to them. The interconnectedness, the interdependence between God's people and those who minister to them. And as we think along those lines, I'm just going to divide the psalm into two headings tonight. I've already sort of hinted at what they are. First of all, we're going to go in backwards order. We're going to think from verse 3 about the minister's duty to bless the people of God. And then we'll think also in verses 1 and 2 about the people's role in blessing God's ministers. So in verse 3, the minister's duty to bless God's people, and then in verses 1 and 2, the people's role in blessing God's ministers. So, number one, the minister's duty to bless God's people. It is interesting, if we've colored in the background of this psalm correctly, it's interesting that the last thing that the priests may have done before their countrymen left Jerusalem and set out for their homes was to pronounce a blessing upon them. May the Lord bless you from Zion He who made heaven and earth. That verse is probably meant to be sung by the priests. The parting benediction that's there in verse 3 is meant to be sung by the priests as a fitting capstone to the people's sojourn in the capital city. Because not only by this final pronouncement of blessing, but also by all the ministry that these priests and Levites as well have carried on all week long, this is precisely what 
the priests and Levites were doing. They were blessing the people of God, just as they pronounce here in verse 3. They were offering sacrifices on their behalf, bringing the people's sins before God for atonement, praying on behalf of the people, and perhaps teaching the people as well, which is also part of the priest's role, according to Malachi 2. And so this closing blessing in verse 3 is just the culmination of all that the priest has been doing, or at least all that the priests should have been doing, all throughout the days of the festival and on every other day as well. The priests and the Levites, their helpers, were set aside by God for the duty of blessing his people. And when they leave, they pronounce that blessing on them once more again. And while it's true that in the New Covenant we are all priests unto God, ministering to him with direct access to him in Christ. Yet, I do think it's, it's, um, it's right to draw a specific parallel for a few moments from this passage between the role of the priests and Levites of old, and particularly the role of elders and gospel ministers and deacons in the New Testament church. The offices are not one and the same between the Old and the New Testaments, of course, And yet there is a parallel in that under both covenants, God has seen fit to set aside particular men to minister to his people, to bless his people, to serve their needs, to teach them the word, to intercede for them in prayer, to connect them with the great sacrifice and so on. There are differences between uh, full-time ministry in the Old and New Covenants, chief among them being that A, gospel ministers do not make the sacrifice, but rather point to the sacrifice that's already been made, and B, gospel ministers are not actually priests, at least in the Old Testament sense of mediating between God and men. We are rather preachers who point people to Christ, who's the one mediator between God and man. There are differences, and yet, though in slightly different ways, New Testament pastors and elders and deacons as well in matters temporal are like the ministers of old, called upon by God to be the conduits of his blessing to his people. It is from us that you get the bulk of your teaching. It's from us that you get the bulk of your counseling. It's we who are uniquely responsible for your souls and will give an account. It is we who ought uniquely to be praying for you. And it's we, the, the officers in the church, if you will, it's we among all people who ought to be pointing you regularly to the great high priest who is the great giver of God's blessings. But the way that Jesus so often grants those blessings is through the conduit of men. Men who are particularly set aside, something like the priests and Levites of old, for the specific purpose of bringing God's blessing to his people. And so let me just say, first of all, I wonder, elders and deacons, if we take that high calling seriously. Not just that we have a little more responsibility in the church, men, or a few extra tasks upon our plates, but that the tasks and the responsibilities that we are given fall under this overarching calling of bringing God's blessing to his people. That's why we teach and why we pray and why we shepherd and why we discipline and why we counsel and why we meet physical needs and why we prepare a budget and all of these things because we are like God's PVC pipes through which he intends to pour out his kindness to those whom he has bought with his precious blood. And I use that picture of PVC pipes purposefully because 
there's nothing glamorous about PVC, is there? It's plain, it's utilitarian, it's often hidden behind the scenes, and it's not glamorous at all then, is it? But it is important because it brings the blessing of water into the building. And the same thing is true of elders and deacons in the church. We're just doing a job in one sense so that we shouldn't expect anyone to make a big deal out of us and to think that we're grand. And yet the job that we're tasked with doing is an incredibly important one, ministering God's living water available in his son and so often by God made available to the people by means of those who minister Christ to them, who bring the living water to them. And so brothers, elder and deacon brothers, we have a profound responsibility. We have a duty to bless the people of God, to minister such that if we were to pronounce the words of verse 3 here when our people gather together on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, they would know that it was more than just words. This must be our heartbeat and our lifestyle as concerns the people of God. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. And then let me say a little more briefly that since the New Testament does call the entire church a royal priesthood, there's a sense in which all that I've just said applies to all of us if we're in Christ. Yes, there are certain men even in the New Testament who are particularly set aside to bless the people of God, but we're all ministers in our own particular capacities, aren't we? And so I don't want any of us merely to think of ourselves as those who receive the blessing, though we all are in that category if we're in Christ, but we're also, each one of us who knows Jesus, specifically gifted in certain ways by the Holy Spirit so that we might bless the body of Christ too. We're all God's conduits in our own measures and spheres and with our own giftings. All of us living, ministering, serving, teaching, giving, so as to be able to say to our fellow believers, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who has made heaven and earth. I just urge you to think about that for yourself. How is it that you are called to do that? How is it that you are to bless the church, whether here locally or further afield? How is it that you should be able to say to the children of Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church or to the missionaries or to your Sunday school class or to one of our sister churches, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. And just notice before we leave this point that it is the Lord's blessing, not ours. The Lord bless you from Zion. You are to bring blessing to the people of God, but the blessing is not yours. You're just the conduit, and so am I. Which means, A, that we shouldn't be proud, but it also means that you don't have to soup up something extraordinary in order to bless the people of God, but rather just give what God grants you to give. And it will be the power of God. And that power of God, worked out in your life, poured out through your pipes, will be powerful indeed. Because the same God who blesses Israel through the ministry of the priests and Levites, and who blesses his people today through the various members of Christ's body, he is the self-same God, verse 3, who made heaven and earth. And if that God is working through you, if it is his blessing passing through your pipes, then the pipes don't have to be anything special in and of themselves. 
They just need to be available. Those who minister and the things that they do don't have to be spectacular, just faithful to convey what God has given. And so you don't have to be afraid, my friends, that you have nothing to offer. Just be available and give what God has given you to give. Elders, deacons, church members, take up your role as God's PVC pipe. Take up your role, your duty to bless the people of God. And so that's the first thing from verse 3. The ministers, not with a capital M, as though we were just talking about the church officers, but the ministers with a lowercase m, signifying every member of Christ's body, the minister's duty to bless the people of God. But then secondly, from verses 1 and 2, we need to consider, on the other hand, the people's role in blessing God's ministers. The people's role in blessing God's ministers. Now remember, as we learned from John MacArthur and Matthew Henry, this psalm was probably to be sung at the end of the Jerusalem festivals, at the close of the last day, as the people got ready to set off homeward, and as the night shift began to come on duty at the temple complex. And Henry's observation that this psalm was to be sung when all the solemnities of the day were over, when all the worship had drawn to a close, when all the action in the temple had almost ceased, when the night shift was about to come on duty, Henry's observation about how the the scene is changing from busy to slow paints the scene of this psalm in my mind something like this. For days now, the city of Jerusalem has been in a hustle and bustle with thousands of pilgrims swarming its streets and with great meetings in the temple and great sacrifices on the altar and great singing throughout. Everything has been a swarm of activity throughout this feast and it's all been a real highlight of the pilgrim's year, something that people will talk about for days and weeks after it's all said and done. But now you see it's about to be said and done. It's about to come to a close. The festival is over. The songs have nearly all been sung. The ceremonies and the sacrifices are complete. And the sun is setting in the west, and the crowds are about to melt away, and the city traffic to crawl to its normal pace again. And everyone is ready to go home with a song in his heart and warm memories in his mind and new resolves for the Lord and so on. Everyone is about to head home. Everyone, that is, except for the priests and the Levites. Because the temple doesn't shut down when the festivals end and when the crowds thin back out. There are still daily sacrifices to be offered and bread to be baked and set out before the Lord and incense to be burned and the temple lamp to keep lit and so on. And as we're reminded here in verse 1, there are even duties to be performed overnight when the city is all quiet and when presumably even most of the temple staff have gone home. There were men who came in, verse 1, on night shift, and we learn from various passages that they did that to keep the lamp lit before the Holy of Holies, which was supposed to be lit at all times, to keep the fire going on God's altar, which was never to go out either. They came in, some of them Levites, every night to offer evening song, 
And so now, when it is just about time for all the worshipers who have ascended upon Jerusalem for the three great yearly feasts, when it's just about time for them to disperse and go home with full hearts and good memories and perhaps even that pleasing kind of tiredness that comes from a week well spent, when they're all prepared to disperse on the last day of the feast, the night shift priests and Levites are just now coming in to work. And the picture that I have in my mind is that this night shift coming in for work as the people leave having done all that they came to do, this night shift coming in is a reminder to the people that are going out that the men of God will not depart. The work of the temple will keep going even when the crowds are not there and when the building is mostly silent. And this, too, puts me in mind of the work of the minister of the gospel even today. There is a great festival day for us, too. It's weekly rather than thrice yearly. But there is a great festival day for us, too, when all the people of God ascend up to the meeting place. And and our meeting place is literally up, that you all come from down to, to a higher point, and we all ascend here, and we worship God together, and there's rejoicing, and there's song, and the sacrifice is portrayed before us in the preaching of the gospel and in the observance of the supper, and it's a marvelous festival indeed, a feast upon the things of God every Lord's day. And when it draws to a close, we too, like the pilgrims of old, hopefully go home with a song in our hearts and with pleasant memories and with new resolves for the Lord and with full minds and hearts. And so the crowds disperse long about 1230 or 1 o'clock on a Sunday and the parking lot clears and we all make our way home with glad hearts. But you see, as in the temple of old, the work that happens here is not yet done. Because the house of God and the ministry of the gospel does not shut down in between the festival dates. Even once the crowds have gone away, there's still the incense of prayer to be offered on behalf of the people. There's still the minister's fires of devotion that he must keep lit. The light in his study must continue to burn. Next week's bread must still be prepared. And so the people of God today, like the people of God in Psalm 134, must not forget that while they go back to their homes and their lives, thankful for all that they've been given in the festival, the work of God's house goes on, even as it were on night shift when no one else is around and when the complex is mostly quiet. And I think That's what the people are recognizing here in this psalm when they offer up this exhortation and encouragement in verses 1 and 2. They see the night shift coming in. They realize, in other words, that though they go home, the work of the temple will go on. And so they encourage their ministers to keep doing it, to keep blessing the Lord, to keep lifting their hands in prayer and so on. These ministers have blessed them all throughout this great festival, and they're about to pronounce God's blessing on them one more time before they leave. But before they do, the people pause to bless the ministers. They pause to encourage them in the work that they do on their behalf, even when the crowds are not there. And I suggest to you that this is the role of God's people even down to this day. And let me say, first of all, thank you to those of you who do that for me by means of your prayers for me in the form of words of encouragement that you sometimes send me in the mail. It's a great privilege for me, like the priests and Levites of old, to spend my days, as it were, in God's house, to have as my vocation the very things of God. 
And no man should ever complain about that kind of privilege. And yet, privilege though it is, it's still work. Just like it was work for the night shift in the Temple Mount all those centuries ago. And we should do the work. And we who do the work need God's help to do the work. And one of the conduits through which he pours out his help to those who do the ministry is by the Psalm 134-like encouragement that comes to the ministers from those whom they serve. So thank you for the ways that you all do that. And make sure you always do that, whether it's for me or for your elders and deacons or for whomever it may be that ministers to you on the paths to which God will lead you in the days ahead. Here are these ministers in Jerusalem, and they've just blessed the Lord for the days of feasting now ending, and the congregation encourages them before the festival is done to keep blessing the Lord, even when we, the congregation, have filed out to our various homes and hamlets. Keep praying, brother. Keep singing, Levites. Keep offering the sacrifices. Keep the fires burning. Keep the lamp lit. These are the sorts of things that they prayed for. These are the sorts of things that they encouraged their leaders with. And these are the sorts of things that we need prayer for and encouragement in, too, as ministers of the gospel today. And let me say once again that while I think the most obvious parallel with this psalm concerns what I've just been saying, those who are peculiarly peculiarly set apart for the Lord's work, elders, pastors, deacons. Yet let me also say once again that because we're all priests and because, as we said earlier, we all have ministry to do for the Lord and for his people, well then, this need for encouragement and prayer and blessing from those to whom we minister applies not only to the encouragements that's needed for ministers with a capital M, not only to church officers, in other words, but it applies to the encouragement that every one of us needs who ministers to others for Christ's sake. And so your Sunday school teacher needs this encouragement too as she, he or she goes home from the class, home from the weekly big event, but still has more work to do in order to get ready to minister to you again the next time around. And that can be said for your worship team or your nursery workers or those who go out and minister in the nursing home and so on. Don't forget about the work that these people are doing, not just when we all gather for the festival, but the work that they're doing by night, as it were, during the week when you can't see them. Don't forget how they ready the pipes through which God funnels his blessings to you on a Sunday. And make sure you thank them. And make sure you recognize, as in verses 1 and 2, that their work is not done on Sunday at 1230. And make sure you spur them on to keep doing it well. And children... Have these same ideas in your minds as it relates to your parents, who sometimes are literally working at night for your good kids, even when you are asleep, and who do all sorts of things and pray all sorts of prayers for you children that you don't see and that maybe you don't even know about, but they are doing them in an effort to bless you and the Lord. As those who minister, we have a duty to bless God's people. But as those who are ministered to, we have a duty as well. And that is to bless, to encourage, to pray for those who minister to us. And happy is a people who have such ministers, and happy are the ministers who have such people. Behold, bless the Lord, say the people to their Ministers, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord, who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. 
To which the ministers reply, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. And in all of this, let us not fail to bless the greatest of our ministers, the great high priest, who is not a mere conduit for God's blessing, but who actually is the blessing and the giver of it. If there was ever anyone who could say to the people what is said in verse 3 and say it with meaning, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. If there was anyone who could ever pronounce that upon God's people with meaning, it was Jesus who purchased God's blessing when he went to this Zion and there poured out his life's blood on our behalf. And if there was ever any minister who worked the night shift, so to speak, who kept the fires of ministry lit even when we were asleep and off going through our weekly routine, it is Christ who upon his throne in heaven will neither slumber nor sleep and always lives to make intercession for us. Christ is always at work on our behalf, even when he's behind the scenes, even when our great weekly meetings and our own private daily meetings with him have drawn to a close. He is still diligently working for us. And oh, how thankful we should be for a Savior who works even the night shift to bring blessing to our souls and who says to us loudly and clearly from his cross and from his empty tomb, may the Lord bless you from Zion.